What I'm trying to do first and foremost is, is figure out if those guys can, can live by the core values. And those are selflessness, preparation, engagement, enthusiasm, and discipline. That was Colorado College's Mike Horowitz. He's the guest on this week's Chasing the Goal podcast. Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. Alongside me, Mr. Jack Piatelli. Jack, how we doing? Can you believe we're already in the month of November? Where's the time going? No, I don't. I'm, I'm pretty upset. I'm going to have to turn heat on in my apartment soon. It's the worst. That is the worst. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Always wait till November. But you know where I'd like to be right now? That's Colorado. I would too. Yeah. Now that's why we brought on Colorado head coach, Mike Horowitz. Coach, how we doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Always happy to have schools on that aren't necessarily in the New England region, but our destination schools for a lot of New England players. I know that I, I've coached at least a couple of players that have been like, hey, I want to go to Colorado College. And I'm like, hmm, you're not good enough. So, so that's been, been a fun part. And you're entering your second season going into 2023, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, so I came in really right at the end of the fall. We had five practices in the fall. And then, uh, yeah, we started right up in, uh, in January last year. How would you characterize your coaching philosophy? Because you, you come at it from, from a goalie perspective, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was uh, I'm definitely retired at this point. But yeah, I think what it, what it allowed me to do is really get my foot in the door in, in college coaching because everyone's looking for that specialist goalie coach. And then it also allowed me to kind of float to different sides of the ball, to have perspective as to what don't I want to see on the offensive side of the ball and, and what shots am I happy giving up on the defensive side of the ball. So it's definitely helped give me perspective as the guy in the crease who, who gets to see it from, from both sides. Yeah, for our listeners, many of them are from New England, probably don't know a lot about Colorado College. Talk a little bit about the the college, the academic programs, and a little bit about the program. Yeah, so so academically, we're we're one of uh, in the top thirty liberal arts colleges in the country. So when you're when you're talking about some of the uh, those like schools, a lot of them tend to be in New England, and that's why we have such high representation from New England at CC. In terms of, of the college, we're, we're in downtown Colorado Springs, a beautiful campus. We're fortunate enough to have Division I hockey and, and Division I women's soccer at our college, which really has elevated our facilities. I was a Division I assistant coach for, for over seven years, and I can certainly say that our athletics facilities are, are Division I caliber, so we're very fortunate in, in terms of that. But, you know, we, we definitely uh, pride ourselves on, on being at the highest level on, on both ends of the spectrum, academically, it's a hard school to get into, 14% acceptance rate. And on the uh, athletic side, we have everything that we need from our administration to be successful. So it's, it's a beautiful school. And in terms of recruiting, if we can get kids to, to come visit campus, the, the cell becomes a whole lot easier. Coach, one of the 
projects I'm working on for the next issue of New England Lacrosse Journal magazine is the connection between certain schools and, and players to international teams. And you, you have one of those strong connections with the Israeli men's national team having, having played for them. And can you talk about how that has shaped your coaching and how that has made you better as a coach and, and even as a player? Yeah, I, I think that just being able to, to give back and to the, the cliche is to grow the game. It, it really gives you perspective to, to go over to Israel, probably been over to Israel eight, 10 times at this point. And most of it consists of coaching youth clinics and going into gym classes in the middle of the day at, at, at grammar schools, trying to, trying to teach the sport. And from, from a college coaching perspective, if you can get the ball rolling with, uh, with kids who have never seen the sport, let alone played it, I think it really adds to your ability to be a teacher more so than a coach. And it, it's just a really valuable life experience to be able to use the, the sport that you love to be able to travel. I've been to, I was in Ireland for the under 21 world championship, the under 19s before that in, uh, in British Columbia, got to coach the Israeli national men's team in Israel which was just an outrageous experience to have all these countries converging on Israel and their Olympic training facility to, to, to play world championships for lacrosse. But I think what it really does for me as a coach, it allows me to be more of a teacher than a coach because you're really starting from the ground up and you can't expect anything from a guy who's picking up a stick for the first time. And, and that's been really valuable for me. What are some of the first drills that you use to introduce lacrosse to new players? Yeah, I think, well, when you look at it, most of the time when you're starting out, the ball's on the ground. And the more proficient you can get early at getting the ball up off the ground, the more fun the sport can be. It's, that's the biggest challenge when you're teaching somebody the sport for the first time is that the, the skill of the game is hard to pick up overnight. It's not like like soccer or football where, if you can run around, you can kind of find a place for yourself in those sports. But in lacrosse, you have to be able to handle the ball. And if you can't, then, then sometimes it's hard to make it fun. So we're trying to work on picking the ball up off the ground. And then the second piece is doing as much odd numbers as we can, because you don't want a lot of pressure on a beginner's hands when they're passing the ball. You want to make sure there's always an obvious open outlet. So, so doing some three on two to the goal drills. One of the drills, actually a staple at CC is uh, we call it three B two scrapping. So you've got a line, you've got two parallel lines running across the top of the box with a bucket of balls in the middle. And you alternate who's on offense, who's on defense. Three guys run out on, O, put a foot in the crease. Two guys stagger them with a foot in the crease and you're rolling a ball out and it's live. And if the defense picks the ball up, they're trying to clear the ball outside the box. And if the offense picks it up, they're trying to, to bust adjacent and score a goal. And after the first ball, you immediately throw a second ball in and repeat the process where you don't really know where you're going to be when that ball spits out. And that drill works just as well for our guys at CC as it does for the youth players in Israel. So that's a, that's a big one for us. But it's all about picking the ball up off the ground and then giving odd number advantages to the offense so that there's always an available option 
for them to be fundamentally sound when they're passing. Always excited to hear about new drills that I can steal and implement at the high school level. That sounds exactly like that. Looking at your schedule last year, you're playing some serious juggernauts here. You're, you're playing top 10 teams almost every other week. And I know that your, your geographic location kind of plays against that a little bit. How have you been able to construct a schedule where you can play these top teams as well as playing your, your Heartland Con- Conference tournament? Yeah, well, well, when I first was, was interested in the job and I was talking to people about it, something they, they pointed out was every other, every other job in the country, scheduling's like 5% of the job. At yeah. CC, it's 15, 20% of the job. We, we play in a small conference, but it's a, it has a large geographic footprint. There are schools in Indiana, Kentucky, us in Colorado, uh, Flo- uh, sorry, Texas in Louisiana. So we have a bit of travel to do, but we only typically have to play four games in league. And so at least for the time being. So that really opens up our schedule to play non-conference. And we have aspirations of going to the NSA tournament. And if you have that, the way that you prepare for it is to schedule teams that have like-minded goals. And for us, we, we have a very interesting scheduling system at Colorado College academically. So instead of taking four courses simultaneously over the course of a semester, we take one course at a time, which we call blocks. So we take one course at a time, and those courses last three and a half weeks. About 85% of the courses run from nine to noon, Monday through Friday. And so what that allows us to do is at the end of each block on that fourth Wednesday, we have four and a half days off from noon on that Wednesday through the weekend. So we use those block breaks over the course of, of the spring semester to travel to the East Coast. So for example, we're actually headed out to Pennsylvania at the end of the first block of the spring, and we'll play Friday, Sunday out in Pennsylvania, and we won't miss any class, even though we're flying out on a Thursday. So, so that makes it doable for us. The way that we get home games is I, I put my assistants on duty uh, creating a, a spreadsheet of everybody's spring break in the country because there's no better place to go for spring break than Colorado Springs. So we try to find a couple teams that have the same spring break or at least overlap, and we try to get them out here and they can play us and each other, and it makes it a lot more e- easier pill to swallow from their administration say, hey, we're going to Colorado. We're going to play two games. So, so that's kind of my job is to try to sell people and making the trip out to Colorado Springs on their spring break. Coach, actually, I was very surprised looking at your roster. You have a number of players from New England, Massachusetts, Connects, Connecticut. How have you been able to recruit players from Massachusetts and Connecticut? Do you do a lot of traveling yourself to a number of events in the Northeast? Yeah, I think we have to follow everybody. We have to follow follow the trends. And even if we want to have a roster full of guys from Colorado, California, Oregon, wherever in the West, the best clubs are going out to the East Coast. So, so we're going to be there. So I'll actually be out on the East Coast for, for much of November going to recruiting events. I've got my, my assistant coach, Sam Horning, is heading up to New England for, for an event this weekend. But the other thing with with recruiting guys from New England is we don't need to shy away from it. 
we are essentially a, a NESCAC caliber school in Colorado. And so if you don't want to go to school an hour or two away from home, but your aspirations are to attend an elite liberal arts college, well, we're kind of a, a gem out in Colorado Springs that can offer the same kind of education, offer the same value in our diploma. And we've found that that niche over the years of being able to get guys out of the, the New England bubble because we can offer the same caliber of education, oftentimes better facilities, the opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament to play meaningful games in May. And, and so we have, and, and, and even beyond lacrosse, a lot of ISL and Founders League schools are feeder schools for CC already. So, so we're kind of uh, killing two birds with one stone, attacking the, the recruiting landscape in New England, where we're already getting kids to our school who just want to go there for the education. Several New Hampshire kids on here as well. I noticed you skipped over that. I mm. apologize. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I <laughs> saw that and I just knew you were sitting next to me and didn't you, those, any of those your players? No. Yeah. Well, that's, that's your thing is Springfield. My thing is, is New Hampshire and, and that's just how it works. You mentioned Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs is one of the biggest training complexes for the Olympics. You have access. I mean, you got even people, they have fencing there. They have all sorts of things in that complex. Do you have a relationship with them at all in terms of like building anything? Are you able to train there? Yeah, we're, we're trying to build some relationships. You know, it's only been, uh, I'm coming up on really one year at, at CC. So it's more been about me trying to find a house and uh, memorizing my, my drive and my commute to, to this point. But we definitely have some, some relationships with the Olympic training facilities. USA Basketball is downtown as well. So, so we're trying to build on that. But it also is just a great opportunity for us to explore kind of elite athletics right in our backyard. The Olympic Paralympic Museum is... Really, if you wanted to walk, it's probably a 30 minute walk from campus. So, so we have some of those things in our backyard that we can use to kind of motivate our athletes. Yeah. I think one of the things I wanted to ask you too, is we love to talk about dual sport, multi-sport athletes here. Do you have any of those on your roster at this point? We don't. We, we have had a couple guys who, who've played soccer in the past. Right now we don't. A lot of our guys were high school hockey players and we actually have a couple guys who played a year of junior hockey before realizing that they wanted to play lacrosse in college. So we've got a lot of, of guys who have a background in, uh, in hockey. We've got a couple of hoops players as well, but there's definitely that connection with, with hockey, especially the, uh, the guys from New England. So one of those guys, Declan McGuire from St. Sebastian's, I know he was a very good hockey player and very good lacrosse players captain, I think in 2020 at St. Sebastian's and He's a sophomore in your program. Yeah. So, so he's actually a junior now and he, yeah, he was a fantastic hockey player at Sebs. He was a, a first team all league player for us last year and, and has really improved. He's taken huge step forwards this fall. A lot of people just kind of saw him as a bull and a range shooter and, and his passing ability has really taken, taken a big step forward. So we're, we're excited for, for Declan to, uh, to have a big junior year. You came into Colorado College with a lot of D1 experience. What are some of the similarities to your time at, at St. Joe's to your time at Colorado College so far? 
Yeah, I, I think that to me, the way that you become successful at the Division three level is to have guys who want to put the work in on their own. Because as, as you only get the 16 practices in the fall and you spend hours and hours and hours developing your team over those 16 practices. But from today through most of January, the guys are on their own. And so you better create a culture of self-motivation, of hard work. And we had that at, at St. Joe's and you see the success that, that they're having. And it's all because the guys are self-motivated and they hold each other accountable. And if you can do that at any level, then you're going to be successful. You're going to reach your potential. At the Division three level, it's so, so important because if your captains and, and your leaders aren't willing to hold each other accountable and be honest, then, then you're going to regress in between the end of fall ball and the start of the spring. So, so I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing that we're trying to bring over to CC from, from my time at St. Joe's. In terms of our practice style, there is no difference between any Division I practice that I have helped run and a CC practice. We just have fewer of them in the fall. And, and, and that's the honest truth. And that's where we're trying to, to bring the program. Coach, what kind of restrictions do you have from now until the end of January with your team? Are you allowed to watch film? Are you allowed to participate and watch them lift weights? And obviously that you talk about they need to continue to develop on their own, bigger, stronger, faster stick skills. What kind of influence do you have and are allowed to have during this dead period? Yeah, I'm not really allowed to have any influence in terms of making anything mandatory. We're really fortunate at CC with our facilities that we have a, a varsity weight room with three full-time strength and conditioning coaches, which is certainly atypical in Division Three athletics. And our strength and conditioning coaches are permitted to coach our guys and instruct our guys in strength and conditioning programming. Whether the guys go to the lift is up to them, but we have aspirations of, of going to the NCAA tournament and, uh, and making some noise. And our guys understand that if they just sit on their butts from November to January, they're not going to, to get much better. And they're going to not put themselves in a position to achieve our goals. So I'm not permitted to coach lacrosse from last Saturday or this past Saturday when we had our final inter-squad scrimmage until the guys get back to school in, in mid-January. So we try to give them some guidance in terms of what the best practices are. And we're fortunate that our strength coaches can work with them fully, but it's really about that self-motivation and accountability piece from our leadership. New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal will return after this message. Dedication, skills, focus, and the drive to play at the highest level. Lacksachusetts is committed to providing the coaching and curriculum that will allow boys and girls to learn and grow as individuals and as teammates. With an emphasis on skill development and academic excellence, their players have led the country in college recruiting for the past 10 years. With over 800-plus players moving on to play in college and over 130-plus high school All-Americans, Lacksachusetts has been able to set the nationwide standard unmatched in the sport of lacrosse. To learn more, log on to laxachusetts.com. That's laxachusetts.com. 
Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England lacrosse? New England Lacrosse Journal and LaxJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England lacrosse scene. Have every issue of New England Lacrosse Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to LaxJournal.com to receive daily digital lacrosse coverage on Club Lacrosse, College Commits, Prep and high school, Division One, Two, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by logging on to laxjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Lacrosse Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media, inspiring, informative, insightful. So, how is your time spent now? From now until. The middle of January. Recruit, recruit, recruit. It's the, the lifeblood of, of our organization. I'm going to, I'm from New Jersey. So I'm fortunate that I have a little bit of a home base out in the Northeast. So I'll be spending most of, of November out on the East Coast, traveling to recruiting events, doing some home visits, going to some club practices, really spending the most time I can trying to focus on creating a, a big board of, of 2024 recruits. That'll be the majority of that. And then I also have to uh, call Southwest Airlines a couple times, call a couple of hotels as we make our, our travel arrangements through, uh, through the spring season. Building up your points, Coach. That's right. We're going to have a lot of them. <laughs> coach, what exactly do you look for in a recruit for your program right now? What are you looking to build on what kind of characteristics they need to have to, to succeed as a tiger. Yeah. I, I think that we, we kind of work on, on five core values at CC and the, the, the whole methodology behind the core values is that you can use lacrosse to, to teach and build those core values, but they can be implemented across your entire life. So what I'm trying to do first and foremost is, is figure out if those guys can, can, live by the core values. And those are selflessness, preparation, engagement, enthusiasm, and discipline. And spending a lot of time talking to club and high school coaches about the, the, the mental side, because when you're sitting on the, uh, on the sideline watching guys in the fall, you don't always get the whole picture from a personality standpoint. So that's the first thing is trying to figure out, are they selfless? Are they willing to give themselves to the team? Are they prepared? When, when their stick breaks, are they running across the field to, to mom and dad to see if their stick's in their bag or in their car, or do they put it on the sideline? Or are you engaged? Are you totally focused on the task at hand? We don't believe in multitasking at CC. We believe in giving your all to whatever task is in front of you one step at a time. So when you're in class, you're a professional student. And when you're in the lacrosse field, you're a professional lacrosse player. Enthusiasm. We need guys who love to play. 
and, and not only who love to play, but are willing to spread positivity to other people. And then the discipline piece is just taking care of the little things and understanding that doing the little things the right way over and over and over lead to the results that you want. So, so that's really the off the field and the mentality piece is what we're looking for. In terms of in between the lines, we're a transition oriented team. We had an inner squad scrimmage and to end the fall this past Saturday and over half the goals that we scored in the scrimmage were in transition. My favorite goal from that scrimmage was we get a stop on an inside feed. Our long stick midfielder picks the ball up and all of a sudden there's two close defensemen joining him in the play. We bang the ball down to an attackman who feeds a close defenseman as a trailer who hammers one from, from 14 yards off stick hip. And, and that's definitely our game in a nutshell. So we're looking at a, a, a holistic style where every guy on our team, if you want to play, you need to be able to challenge a goaltender from 12 yards with your feet set. You have to be able to run by single coverage in the open field. And it doesn't matter if you're a close defenseman or an attackman. You need to have those requisite skills. You have to be able to break down and force a ball carrier in one direction the majority of the time. And that might be a close defenseman playing an attackman at X, but it's also our attackman closing down defensemen in the 10-man. So, so we're definitely a kind of an everybody does everything type of team. So we're looking for defensemen who can handle the ball and we're looking for midfielders who can get up and down the field. And we're looking for attackmen who can make the, the right decisions in the scramble situations because we always want to be more organized in the scramble than our opponent. And, and that's a huge piece to what we do getting up and down in, in transition. Coach, you got your start as a goalie specialist coach. You went on to coach a number of goaltenders at the Division I level. They became All-Americans. You've had, obviously, a lot of experience as a player. Now, as a head coach, what do you look for in a goaltender? What attributes, skill sets are you looking for for him to be successful at your university? Yeah. So, so there's three things. Technically, you've got to be able to catch the ball. We're not looking for street hockey goalies who are shrugging them off their shoulder or kicking them out. Every once in a while, you're going to get, you're going to get some flesh on the ball to make a save. Coach, I was but, a great, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I was a great street, street hockey goalie <laughs> and I wanted to be a goalie. And my parents wouldn't allow me. So it was probably a good thing because street hockey goalies don't necessarily make good <laughs> lacrosse goaltenders. Now, one of, one of my favorite things to do when I was in like grammar school, if I knew that in PE we were playing floor hockey, I'd always make sure that I brought a baseball glove to school so I could be in the net and I could use the, uh, the baseball glove to play, to play a floor hockey goalie. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. But, uh, but yeah, I think that the, the best goalies catch their saves, especially in the shot clock era. There's nothing worse than there's three seconds left in the shot clock and someone takes a high bounce or tips off the plastic and you have to play another 60. So your ability to catch the ball, that comes from economy of movement, not really flopping around, but really just doing what you need to do to get your stick to the ball. The second thing is, can you be a seventh defender? Can you be a guy who's dangerous around the crease? 
because I don't believe there's any difference between catching a save, picking up a ground ball, and picking off a pass through X. At the end of the day, they all accomplish the same thing, and that's ending the defensive or, or the other team's offensive possession. And then our ability after we catch our saves or create a possession to get the ball out over the top. Because the two most common ways to create transition that we thrive on is winning faceoffs and catching saves. So you need a goalie who can fit your style. And then the last thing is, do you inspire your defense to play as well as they're capable of playing? And there are different ways to do that. Can you be a really vocal guy, really studies the game tape and knows what everyone's going to do and can adjust your d middies approach on the fly? There's also guys who just put in ridiculous amounts of work and they earn the respect of their, of their teammates on the defensive end and put those guys in a position to know that if I do my job, that my goaltender is always going to do his job. And every once in a while, he might even bail me out when I fail. So it's really catching the ball, being the seventh defender and the first pass in our offense, and then inspiring our defenders to play to their full potential. First time I've heard that phrase, catch your save. It's a very good point. And you see that a lot with younger goaltenders. Not that you don't see it at the college level because the college players shoot the ball so hard, but it is so important for the goaltenders to catch the save. And so many turnovers are caused by not catching the save. So as a young goaltender, what skills, drills can they do to be able to, to catch their safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of my favorite drills starting out, and we try to do this in, in all of our warm-ups with our goalies, is for them to almost take a, a full warm-up with both knees on the ground. Basically, uh, take away their ability to step to the ball. That's obviously a term that has merit, but what we want our goaltenders to do is to move their hands first and to move their hands so violently that their body gets dragged behind them, that their feet get dragged behind them. So, so putting your knees on the ground forces you to either get your stick on the ball or, or nothing. The other thing that we really focus on with our guys is being in the center of the goal and square to the shooter. And, and this takes some time to develop for you to have where, to, to understand where you are in the goal. But we tend to not teach our goalies a five-step arc. Rather, we're asking them to position themselves in the center of the goal and square to the shooter. Center of the goal means you could draw a straight line from the center of the crossbar over the top of your head to the ball. And square to the shooter means that I can draw two equidistant lines from my shoulders out to the ball. And, And that puts you in a position where you're always no more than a foot in either direction from covering both pipes. And if you can do that, then you limit your ability to have to overstep. And we explain it to to new goalies. Like, if I told you, you've got to read this book as fast as you can, would you be better off reading that book sitting at your kitchen table or running on a treadmill? And the answer is obviously sitting at a table. So the, the less you move, the easier it is for your eyes to find the ball. And therefore, the easier it is for you to catch it. So, so that's something that, that we put a lot of emphasis on. Playing with, with both knees on the ground early to isolate your hands 
and then being in the center of the goal and square to the shooter at all times. Coach, we, we actually, you're another goalie that is a head coach. We recently just had on from Colorado, actually, Alex Smith, who's the head coach at, at St. Michael's College. He said almost the exact same thing you just said about centering the goalie. And I feel like that's going to be one of the new tactics for teaching goaltending because high arc got hot there for a little bit. Are you, are you low arc, center of the goal guy for every goalie, or is it, is it kind of a case-by-case basis for you? Yeah, it's definitely case by case. I think you're, you're doing a disservice to your goalie unit if you coach them all exactly the same way. I've coached lefties who are 5'6". I've coached r- righties who are 6'3". And if I coach those two guys exactly the same, one of those guys is not going to reach his potential. So you're trying to find, find the happy medium. And I always want our guys to be in the center of the goal and square to the shooter how far off the goal line they play, how wide their stance is, how low their crouch is, how perpendicular their, their stick is to the ground or parallel, close to parallel it is to the ground. All those things vary from goaltender to goaltender. So you have that kind of loose framework in terms of positioning. But from there, you're trying to say, hey, does this goalie save the ball really well off stick high well, maybe we should move his stick a little bit further away from perpendicular because he can get across his face fast enough. Let's get him to a position where he can get to the ground a little bit quicker and vice versa. So definitely trying to put each of our goalies in a position to be the best version of themselves within like a loose framework from the start. Coach, who is easier to coach? The little little goalie or the big goalie? The big goalie is probably easier to coach just from a statistical standpoint, covering a little bit more ground. But I've coached small goalies who are excellent. The nice thing about coaching a small goalie is probably from a young age, they've had no choice but to get their stick on the ball. So, so they're already in the mindset of, I have to catch it. I'm not big enough to shrug my shoulders or, or to puff my chest out and just take one in the chops. So, so there's positives and negatives. If you can find the big goalie who can catch the ball, well, that's obviously what you're looking for. But it's nice when you are coaching a small goalie who really has had no choice from the time he started playing to catch the ball. And the big goalie that has to get down, da- that knows how to get down. That's, yeah, that's where I, I feel. Mean, we're always looking for athletes, right? We're, we, we don't, it's always a red flag for me when I'm recruiting a goalie. I always ask, well, how'd you start playing goalie? And if the answer is, well, I didn't like to run, that's a red flag. We, we want athletic goalies, guys who can be active outside the goal, but your athleticism counts for a ton in the six by six. Coach, you're one of the few Division One programs in the country that has a big time Division One hockey program. What's it like being a head coach of a Division Three lacrosse program with such a great emphasis on hockey at the college? I think it's a huge positive for, for us as a lacrosse program. Like say, Rising Tide lifts all boats. We have a brand new, it's, it's a year old hockey rink right in the center of campus, Robes and Arena, which is essentially an NHL rink scaled down to 4,000 seats. I think it's a whole lot better to, to have that big time Division One hockey program than to have a Division Three football program personally 
because most division three programs with football, they share their locker room, right? You've got the football locker room in the fall turned into the lacrosse locker room in the spring. And for us, a lot of resources get put into hockey. They're all their facilities, weight room, locker room, obviously where they practice is the same place that they play. And we get a lot of traction in the community through hockey. If I went downtown in Colorado Springs and I asked, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of CC, the majority of the community is going to say hockey, even though we're one of the best liberal arts colleges in the country. And, and I think that's great for us. The other thing it does is when we have recruits come to campus, we try to get them to the hockey games whenever possible. The atmosphere is phenomenal. The student section is rowdy. So, so it is a huge positive for us in recruiting, in elevating the, the name of the school, and then also in our facilities. We would not have the athletics facilities that we have without Division One hockey. And that puts us in a category where I truly believe we're in the 99th percentile when it comes to Division Three athletics facilities. Coach, what's the biggest difference in your eyes between a recruit from the West Coast and a recruit from the East Coast? Yeah, I, I think what you're typically looking at is the, the level of play late in the season. And, and I, I say that not from the, the talent level necessarily, but the, the emotion and the competitive spirit that you get. Typically, in the non-traditional areas in the West, things get filtered to, to a, pretty, a pretty low level. Whereas you go to Oregon, there's probably only three or four high schools that you're going to be looking at for talent. With other guys sprinkled in, obviously. Whereas in New England, there's hundreds of schools that have really good players. And what ends up happening is that what I've noticed is the guys in the West, typically the guys in the West that we're recruiting are playing in state semifinals, state championships, almost without exception. So for them to have the ability to play in the biggest game of their life in a, in a state championship game, just most of the guys that we recruit in the West, you're going to have more opportunity to do that just because of the natural filtration process in California, Oregon, Texas. In, in the East Coast, though, game to game, you're, you're seeing a lot more competition in your regular season. And, and that pays dividends as well. So there really isn't a whole lot of difference, honestly, in the guys that we're recruiting. Bar the guys in the West have more opportunity usually to play in the biggest games, but the guys in the East are playing more competitive competition week in, week out over the course of their season. But at the end of the day, our best players are from all over the country. It's not like every good player is from New England. We will probably be starting, if I had to guess, in the spring, we're going to be starting three attackmen from Colorado, Texas, and Massachusetts. Our midfield is going to be Massachusetts, California, and Colorado. We're going to have Mar guys from Maryland and a guy from Colorado likely starting at close D. So... Those guys can compete. It's just a matter of the consistency of their competition and how deep into state tournaments you, you play on a consistent basis. How, how's your locker room then? 
Because there, there's a that's a lot of different cultures, people from different places in the country. I feel like there's a lot of different attitudes as well, East Coast versus West Coast. I think it's, it's a little bit to that. How do you manage that? Yeah, well, well, I think the really cool thing is I always have this this vision in my head of we've got guys from Colorado, Texas, New England, Oregon, Minnesota, and it's mid-January. They're all getting on a plane and they're all like rocking back and forth in their seats because they can't wait for the season to start, for them all to get back to Colorado Springs, back to the locker room to attack a common goal. And I think it's it's a recruiting tool for us that that you get to experience spending time with with 50 guys from all over the country, from all four time zones, from 15 to 18 states. So some sometimes there's learning curves for guys from the non-traditional areas that that the the guys from the Northeast or just the East Coast in general might not have. But I think it's definitely a net positive. I mean, when we have those block breaks that we were talking about, when we have those in the fall, we're off. We don't do any team activity during those block breaks. And so we have a, a family who has a ranch about three hours, three hours from campus. And we had guys who stayed in Colorado over the block break and they got invited over to the ranch and they, they spent three days camping out. We've had guys in their senior year drive up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming on the block break. Some of those guys are from Texas, some are from Colorado, some of them are from Massachusetts, some of them are from Pennsylvania. So I think it's it's a net positive and, and it really hasn't been an issue that we have to overcome. It's something that we really want to harness. We do do every once in a while some drills at the end of practice where we'll go East Coast versus West Coast and those get pretty heated at practice. But it's definitely a net positive to have such a geographically diverse roster. Who usually wins, Coach, East or West? It's pretty balanced, <laughs> believe it or not. I'm sure pretty it is. Yeah. yeah. So you were a assistant coach for a number of years, got the head coaching position a year ago. You had to hire assistant coaches. What were you looking for in your assistant coaches when you hired them to be your assistant coaches? Yeah, I, I think that, what I'm looking for the most, and I think it's how I progressed as an assistant, was to have assistant coaches who are willing to to challenge what I think. At the end of the day, I get to decide what happens. But what I said in, in the interview process is if you are being an assistant coach, it's it's hard. It's not pressure packed. Because if you're working for a good head coach, which I have the, had the pleasure of for my entire coaching career. If, if you come up with an idea and coach says, that's a great idea, let's do it. And, it. and it works. You get all the praise heaped on you by the coach. If it works the other way around and things go poorly, a good coach, a good head coach is going to take the responsibility. Well, it's my decision. I should have said, no, we shouldn't have done that. And, and so... What you want, though, are assistant coaches who are willing to kind of stick their neck out from time to time when they think something should be done the right way or a certain way. Guys who can present their argument. And at the end of the day, it's my decision whether we do it or not. But I'm really fortunate that, that I do have assistants on my staff right now, Sam Horning and, and Isaac Atencio, 
who, who definitely challenge what I say from time to time. And those debates in the office are, are what take our program to the next level. I will say being an assistant at the college level is way more stressful than being an assistant at the high school level, not just because of the scale, but because of the actual like relationship you have with the head coach. Like the head coach ultimately always makes the decision, but the pressure when you're, when, when you're an assistant in college, you're running the box. Like you're doing, mm. you're, you're doing a lot of recruiting. You're doing a lot of emails. You're on the phone a lot more. And I feel like if pe- more people understood that and the, the relationship that you have to forge with a guy who's essentially your boss, but also like that you can actually offer forth ideas. I think that's, that's really constructive and definitely something that, you know, if, if I was wanting to go back into college coaching, that's something I definitely want to hear from, from someone who's a head coach. And I feel like a lot of head coaches wouldn't put that out there. So that's, that's pretty unique. It's a new extent. Yeah. You've extent. Got, yeah. You've got to be able to use all your resources. And when you're a head coach, you can be very, you can become very close minded. Once you get in your office, you want to do it a certain way. You've been building to this moment to, to be able to run the program exactly the way that you want. And you can tend to kind of close the blinds and, and not, not continue to learn. And your, your assistant coaches can add so much value in teaching your head coach. Well, I think that's why they're called assistant coaches, right? They're there to assist. And I'm not saying that not every head coach doesn't allow their assistant coaches to coach, but you do have some coaches out there that it's my way or the highway and they don't open Pandora's box to say and allow them to voice their opinion and voice what they've learned over their time as being an assistant coach. And I think that's very important to be a successful head coach is to allow your assistant coaches to be a part of your system and you got to put your egos aside. Definitely. All right, coach. Great place to, to end it there. I want to thank you again for, for coming on and great job. Good luck this season. Can't wait to see some of those, some of those ISL kids in particular do some great things out in Colorado. And man, I'd tell you, I'd come see a game, but I don't know if they'll pay for the flight here. You think? Well, we, we, we can, t- we can talk about it. Yeah, we can <laughs> talk. See what we can yeah, do. We'd love, we'd love to get some, uh, some publicity on your social channels for sure. All well, right. Kyle gets paid to do this a lot more than I do. I don't know why. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> why are you telling we're, people we're, that? We're, we're working on the negotiations Oh my now. God. Okay. Coach, great job. Really nice talking thank with you. Guys. Pleasure. Thanks, Appreciate you all. And thank you again for listening to New England Lacrosse Journals, Chasing the Gold Podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. We'll see you next time.